Good morning, everybody. So great to uh, to be with all of you and to be at this point of a, of a journey that began so long ago. You'll always be able to look back and say that you were here on this day, and uh, and that's really uh, an amazing thing. And we're really thankful, uh, as Meredith has already mentioned. Um, this is a, a journey on so many levels, and there's so many of faces that we see uh, that we love so deeply, and we're so thankful that you're here. And I'll try not to reflect on that too much, or I might get emotional and I may not recover. Although a lot of people would find that entertaining. Um, we uh, during the the soft launch. Uh, series and you can go to our website and you can get those sermons if you're interested. We did a, a series and uh, that came to an end. We're starting a new series this week and it's because really we believe, as Meredith's already mentioned, that this is the beginning of something. And so we're starting a, a series and this is a, a Sunday where we're going to dig into God's word and uh, we're going to roll up our sleeves and see what it is that the Lord would have us uh, hear from him. And so the series we're starting this morning is called Consider the Source. Consider the Source, that's what we titled it. And, and this morning's message uh, is entitled Unity, Unity. And uh, I'm going to read through the first part of that, but just so you know, those of you that are going to be a part of the journey next week and moving on, that really what we're doing is we're going on a journey through 1 Corinthians. And this series is going to take us for the first uh, six chapters of 1 Corinthians. And um, just so you're aware of where it is that we're headed, if you have that app, you can follow along. Otherwise, things will be projected on the TVs up here so you can follow along with the scripture. It says this, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 and going on through verse 9. It says this, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified by Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we get to come into this place and to be in your presence. And Lord, at the end of the day, um, sound issues, whatever uh, is a part uh, of today is overshadowed by your presence. And so that we're thankful, Lord, that you choose to be with us. And so we declare ourselves available. We ask that your presence would remain in this place and that we will leave having had an encounter with the living God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have you guys ever um, gone people watching? Familiar with the phrase people watching? Uh, if, if not, um, then that means you're the person being watched. Just so you know, if you don't know what people watching means, you're the one people are watching. Um, so whether you're at the state fair because you have nothing better to do with your life, um, oh my goodness, I'm just kidding, I went this year too, right? Is this a confessional? But in either case, uh, whether it's the fair or an amusement park or something like that, there are people that literally go there to watch other people, whether you realize that or not. And maybe that's your thing. Like, maybe you're a people watcher, and that's cool. There's restraining orders for you. Um, but the, the truth is, there's three different types of people when it comes to people watching. 
There is uh, the person that is a people watcher, right? And you just sit there. And, and I'll be honest, I am entertained by that. Because especially if you go to the fair or certain places, you just you see all different types of people. And you're like, that's amazing. That person doesn't own a mirror. They must not. Wow, what is happening there? You know, and you just see all these, these things. And, and really what it is, it's making you feel better about yourself because we have problems, right? And so when we see other people with problems, it makes us feel better. And so there's the person that's watching. There's the person being watched, okay? And, uh, and then there's the third type of person. The third type of person is the person that typically watches others that in a moment of realization comes to the, the awareness that they, in fact, are being watched. Have you ever had that moment? If you haven't, it'll come. I remember I was, I was at a beach, and we had um, our, our newborn, and we were kind of navigating what it looked like to bring a kid to the beach. I don't know what we were thinking, right? Because we were, we were married eight years before we decided to have kids, and so we had gone to the beach for years, and it was just like what we did. So we're like, how hard could this be? We just bring the baby. Like, this is easy. And, and so you bring the baby, and then you set it down, and it's like grabbing hands full of sand and just shoving it in its mouth. Like, what are you doing? Baby shouldn't do that, you know. And you're like, you don't eat sand and all these terrible things. You 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 cake, you know, uh, all the sand, the sunscreen on it because you're just afraid of the sun. All of a sudden, you know, like the sun's gonna cook your baby. And so you're, you, they, they got coated everywhere, and then the sand is sticking to them. And you're like, why are we here? This is horrible. And so I, I remember specifically that we were on a beach for one of the first times, and everything is just coming unraveled. And we think, okay, we've got it under control. She's on a blanket. There's sunscreen on her. She's away from the sand. And so her appetite has been settled for a moment. And, uh, and then uh, she fills her diaper, right? Just when you think you have a conclusion, you're like, oh my goodness. And so now we have to change a baby or we're changing on the beach and all that stuff, navigating that reality. And so there's this one moment, I can't remember where we were, where we've got a screaming baby. There's a little bit of a blowout. We're holding it in what used to be the cute little bathing suit that's no longer cute anyway, because it's got poo everywhere. And you're holding it and, and everybody's kind of disheveled. And I look up and there's this couple, this younger couple, not a clue in the world. I was basically them a year prior. And they're just off the side. And they're like, and they're like laughing. I'm like, oh my, I'm being watched. Like, uh, we are the couple being watched right now. And so whether or not you're the people watching or the people being watched, at some point you will be the person that used to be watched that comes to the awareness of, oh, I'm for other people's entertainment. <laughs> and so I have a question for you this morning. Why is it so easy to see what's wrong? Why is it so easy to see what's wrong? Whether it's what's wrong with other people, what's wrong with a situation, why is it so easy to see what's wrong with others, with situations? We're fault finders. Like it or not, we're fault finders. And so whether or not you, you come to this room this morning as a committed Christ follower, or if you're coming to this room because you saw us promoted on social media or you saw a sign or you were coming here because you uh, had a rough weekend and you thought today was Monday and your class usually meets here, <laughs> that would be awesome. I don't know why. I hope that happens someday. Um, but in either case, whether you're a skeptic or a committed Christ follower, regardless of where you fall on that, on that continuum, the reality is we're fault finders. We can see what's wrong in a moment. We can point to the issue in others. We can find the issue within our own lives and the rhythms of our day. Why is it so easy to see what's wrong? You know, the Apostle Paul, who is the author of 1 Corinthians, he could have taken that stance, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Have you ever heard the question, uh, I've got good news and bad news, which do you want first? 
right? We say that all the time. My kids hate it when I say it to them. I got good news and bad news. Like, uh, which one do you want first? Neither. Only the good news. Paul has some bad news to address with the church in Corinth. Some bad news. And although he addresses it, and we'll get to that in future weeks, he starts with the good news. And in order to understand the context here, you have to understand Corinth. You have to understand the city of Corinth. It, it was a wealthy city um, in its day. It was started off almost like a, a boom town that continued to get more and more wealthy because of tourism, because of business, because of manufacturing. Where it was located uh, in, in the then-known world was critical. In fact, you could avoid danger by bringing your boat to a specific um, section and, and actually lifting your boat up and carry it across a, a landmass so that you could avoid the danger of southern part of Greece. And so whether or not you wanted to be there, it just made sense to go there. And so a lot of people merged. Its, it's geographical lo- location made it um, an amazing uh, international center for trade. And so this, coupled with its economic prosperity, made it a competitive, self-sufficient, and entrepreneurial environment. Okay? In case you haven't connected the dots, it sounds a lot like USA Today. It was a proud Roman colony, often referred to as wealthy Corinth. The culture was one of consumerism and self-promotion. It was about, I want, I consume, it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. And Paul, on his second missionary journey, he plants a church right in Corinth. It says that he works as a, as a tent maker there. He gets to know the people in the community. He ends up establishing a church right there in Corinth, and he remains there for a year and a half and establishes this home church that begins to grow uh, as, uh, as he remains there. And about a year and a half later, he travels on to a place called Ephesus. And while he's in Ephesus, he actually uh, he writes them a letter, and, uh, and we don't actually have that letter. Uh, it was the first letter written to Corinthians, so in case you don't know that, 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians would be 3rd, in case you're really lost. Anyway, um, he, he wrote a letter that he actually refers to in 1 Corinthians 5.9, so he actually refers to a letter that he wrote prior. After this initial letter, some people come from Chloe's household, and so we'll hear more about Chloe's household next week, um, but some some people come from Corinth to Paul in Ephesus, and he lets them know, listen, Paul, things are not going well in the church in Corinth. Like, it's a hot mess. And so they kind of fill him in that there's deep division, that, that within the church they're divided, that within the church there's actual sexual immorality. They actually let him know that there's incest being permitted within the confines of the church in Corinth. Believers are suing each other. You name it, they were doing it. In fact, we learn, and we will in the weeks prior, that they're actually getting drunk during communion. You imagine that? <laughs> like, hey, I think you took a little too much there, Bob. Uh, hey, what's going on? Oh, you're acting a little silly. <laughs> you know, this, this church is a hot mess. And, and so at some point, um, and, and we'll get to more context as we move on when it makes sense, but at some point, they actually, the church in Corinth writes Paul a letter, and it's just, it's bad news after bad news. But Paul starts with the good news. He starts with good news, not to manipulate them, not to butter them out, not to be like, oh, listen, things aren't as bad as you think. He gives them, he starts with the good news in order to acknowledge grace, in order to acknowledge grace. So I ask you again, why is it so easy to see what's wrong? I want to submit to you that leaning into what's wrong with others, leaning into what's wrong about our situation is often an indicator of our lack of understanding of the grace that we've been given. 
It's amazing how easy it is to be a fault finder in others when we are unaware or disengaged from the grace that we've been awarded. If you can understand fully the grace that you've been awarded, it's amazing how all of a sudden you can extend grace to others. And so I want to let you know it's often easy to see what's wrong with others because we haven't come to grips with the grace that we've been given. Listen, if you think you need to have everything fixed and right in your life to be a Christian, you're believing a false gospel. And maybe someone has preached that to you, but it's false. Paul is not saying to the church in Corinth, act right to be a Christian. He's not saying that. He's saying to Christians in Corinth, in light of the grace you've been awarded, act differently. You see the difference? See, the difference is a life changed that then has the outflow of different living. When we come face to face with the truth of the gospel and we allow God to transform who we are, the outflow of that is a life lived differently. And we mess that up. We say, let's fix our lives and then we're good enough to be in proximity to Christ. It's backwards. What he's saying here is consider the source. Consider the source. The culture of Corinth, the culture of the United States, says focus on self. And that leads to disunity and relativism, right? Truth is relative. Why? Well, because it's all about you. It's about yourself. What do you think? What do you feel? So we elevate this idea of relativism, and it brings disunity. But the gospel says focus on Jesus. If Jesus is the source of your grace, it can't be earned. And we're unified by that good news. You see, if grace is contingent upon our behavior, then work harder. I mean, my goodness. And if you've tried that, you've got to be exhausted. Keep leaning into that, right? Behave, behave, behave. Stop doing it. Oh, you're struggling with that? Mm, stop. How's that working out, right? But, but when you live in, in the realization that the source of grace is Jesus Christ, then it can't be earned. And when it's, when it's impossible to earn, then we're unified by that good news. I'm going to prove it to you. We're going to unpack the text together. Here in verse 2, Paul says this. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. Past tense. Isn't that interesting? There's so much unsanctified about Corinth. Like, Paul isn't sitting there with blinders on. He knows that they're messed up. And he's looking at them, and he's speaking into their lives. Listen, those, you were sanctified by Jesus. It's in the past. So much of the church in Corinth was unsanctified. So much of us are unsanctified. <laughs> you guys are like, oh, Really? Okay, I'll say, so much of me is unsanctified, all right? For all you holy people in the room, God bless you. But, but I, I'm willing to admit, like, we are unsanctified. We are works in progress. Amen. And yet, Paul is saying to those sanctified, past tense, in Christ. It's an amazing verse dealing with how God looks at us and what sanctification is. And listen, I know that sanctification could be an SAT word. It's a spiritual word. I'll explain it real quick. It's super simple. To be sanctified simply means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. And, and sanctification is, is because of what Christ has already done. We are set apart because of the life that Jesus lived. Because he lived the perfect sinless life. We, when we cross that line of 
salvation, when we make a decision to allow him to be the Lord and leader of our lives, we are immediately sanctified. But sanctification is one of those cool things. It's an immediate and an ongoing process. So we are sanctified by that which God has done. That's what Paul's talking about. But then there's an ongoing sanctification that leads to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, patience, kindness, self-control. Those flow out of the sanctified believer. In fact, that's why people look at Christians and say, Mmm, hypocrite. What they're really saying is, Mmm, you're not sanctified. And there's a tension Because the tension comes in the ongoing part of sanctification. Because we think that is human effort. We think we've got to try harder. And so we become fault finders. We start looking at others about the sin of their lives. Because if they're worse off, then I feel a little better. Right? That's why we look at people. That's why why there's people watchers. Because you're looking like, look at them. They're a hot mess. Oh, my gosh. It feels so good. That's amazing. And so my favorite thing to do when we're people watching is, is go like this. When somebody's like a real hot mess and they walk by, I go, Meredith, Meredith, Mer- oh, oh, you're sitting next to me. And she's like, seriously? I'm like, I love you, babe. You know, like, but that's really what we're doing because there's something within us that says, listen, if we're better than them, we're doing pretty good. It's part of our fallen nature. And it leads to self-righteousness. It leads to division. It leads to moralism. Behave. Try harder. I'm better than them. I'm pretty good, right? But if we consider the source of sanctification, we become unified in our need for proximity to Jesus. God, will you do what only you can do in and through my life? Like, I can't change my mind. I can't change the affections of my heart. But when I get into proximity to you, you redeem and do a work in me, an ongoing sanctification process. And so, God, would you do a work that only you can do? And it's amazing what Paul says. He says, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, what? Together. Together. Did you know that you grow in grace and Christ-likeness only in community? Only in community. Did you know that it's a biblical mandate for you to be in a local church? You can say, yeah, I can grow spiritually by myself, though. True. But you can't reach the fullness of what God intended. In fact, it's a mandate that you live in community. Why? Because that's where grace comes out. In fact, those of you that say, I don't need a community, it's because you've been hurt. It's because you've been hurt. And you're like, you know what? I can't risk grace again. And I want to tell you, you're believing a lie. You're believing a lie that God, his grace, isn't sufficient for you or others. And so when you say you don't need proximity to a community, what you're really saying is, I'm so hurt, so hurt. And so I could spend a lot of time telling you, hey, you need to come to this church, you need to come to Centerway, but it's not about Centerway. It's about establishing what God wants in every community across New York, across the United States, across the world. And so wherever you live, wherever you're going to go back to, if it's not Centerway Church, find a church community. Find a church community and risk hurt. Risk hurt because it's only in the risking of hurt that we're awarded grace for ourselves and we have the ability to award it to others. It happens in community. We're designed to live in community. Verse 3, Paul says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When grace is given, what's the result? Peace. Grace and peace. Try to get peace without grace. 
Try to get peace in your life without receiving the grace from God. Try to get peace in your life without awarding grace to others. Some of us are trying. Trying so hard to find peace and contentment in this world and yet holding the offense of others close to our heart. And you're just never going to get peace because you haven't awarded grace. Paul then goes on to an amazing run-on sentence. (laughs) It's an amazing run-on sentence. Verses 4 through 8 is all one sentence. I love that Paul does that stuff because I feel like I just keep writing. You know, like, uh, like, is that a sentence? I don't know. Put a period at the end. So verses 4 through 8, he talks about attitude and this idea of thanksgiving. And I love it. It's all, it all connects and starts to culminate. He goes on verses 4 through 8, he says this, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. This, he's writing to a church that gets drunk during communion. Like they're a hot mess and he's leaning in and he's saying, listen, I have a lot to complain about. There's a lot to complain about. He planted this church. They have gone so far off in just nearly two years. He's been in Ephesus for two years. I'd write the letter, hey, so it's been two years. Seriously? With a question mark. Here, send him that. You know what I mean? Like, what is happening? He has a lot to complain about. I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to I'm going to assume that maybe you have a lot to complain about too, right? Every person in this room, there's something that we have a lot to complain about. But I want to submit to you that we're changed inwardly as we face our problems with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. It's so counterintuitive, which really the gospel is so counterintuitive, right? We're forgiven for our sins because of the life of another, so counterintuitive. We don't have to earn our salvation because of that which was already earned. And and so what we find here and what Paul is saying is, listen, if you want to to deal with the issues in your life, if you want to face your problems, the way that you start to inwardly change is with thanksgiving. I'm not talking about some weird plastic like, "Mm, oh, you robbed me. Thank you. God bless. As they're running away. (laughs) Like, oh, he's a blessing. Look at that guy. He's got it all. Everything. My keys too. Oh gosh. Thank you. You know, I'm not saying that. And I and I think the outside world is looking at the church and like, you guys are stupid. Like, what and I think it's because we we try to do what's physical in this world. We try to lean in and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fake it till I make it. I'm just going to fake spirituality. If I can fool everybody around me, then the people watchers will look at me and think I'm a Christian. And they'll think I've got it together. Paul's not talking about, he's talking about the heart condition to say, are you thankful in your heart? Have you gotten to a place in your heart, in the core of who you are, to say, listen, tears running down your face, maybe hands lifted, saying, I'm not okay with the situation, but I'm okay with who you are, God. And so I thank you that you're present in my life. I thank you that you're not going to leave me, that you're not going to forsake me, that through the pain and the difficulty of my life, God, I'm going to thank you, not because I like it, but because of who you are. You're going to transform the inside of who you are, the spirit of thanksgiving. 
He goes on in, in this passage, he talks about how you were enriched. In, in verse 5, he says, you're enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. You know, the second world games that happened, the ones that, that's most famous and kind of lasted to now is the Olympics, okay? Second to the Olympics was the Corinthian games. Second to the Olympics. It's huge. And one of the things that they did besides sports is they spoke. They talked eloquently. And so they were these orators that competed against one another. And so Paul is actually speaking to, to like their thing. And he's saying, listen, you're enriched with speech. You're like so good at that stuff. You're so good at what it is that you're leaning into. And then he goes on to something else. He says, listen, you're not lacking one spiritual gift. I looked at that in its original text, and it means, literally, Paul is saying the church in Corinth lacks zero spiritual gifts. They've got them all. The church was legit, and yet they were missing all the fruit of the Spirit. So it's amazing how you can have everything together and yet miss everything altogether. That you can be so spiritual that you miss out on the fullness of what God has intended. And so he's, he's speaking and he's commending the true things. He's showing us that thanksgiving starts by acknowledging the truth. To acknowledge what's good. I'm not all right with this, but this is good. This is good. I'm not okay with you, with the way you treated me. But you're a good mom. You're a good mom. I'm not all right with the way you dealt with this situation, but man, you're a sharp leader. In, in the recesses of our mind, to be able to identify the truth and lean into it and say, listen, I thank God for that. That's what Paul is doing. He's saying, listen, there's, there's stuff that's redeemable about you. Let's hold on to what is truth. And he goes on to verse 6. There's something interesting here. Because right as he models what it looks like to be thankful in the core of who we are, to acknowledge the truth, he goes on in, the, in verse 6. Something interesting happens in verses 6 and 8. We have the, the same word in the original Greek, but it's translated differently. In verse 6, it, it says that um, the exact wording is, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Confirmed, the word confirmed. Skip on to verse 8. It says, who will sustain you to the end. So sustain and confirmed are the exact same word. But in verse 6, it's a testimony about what Christ has confirmed. What it is that Christ has done in their lives. It's past tense. In verse 8, it says, Christ who will sustain. It's the same word, confirmed, but it's future. It's future. So what does that mean? Why do I bring it up? Because this is what Paul is saying. He who confirmed you shall confirm you. He who sustained you shall sustain you. The God who has extended grace will award you grace. It's the past and the future ongoing. Paul looks at this messed up church and he focuses not what's on wrong, not what's what's wrong, but considers the source of grace and says, God is not done with you. God is not done with you. God has pulled you away from the brokenness and he will sustain you through the brokenness. God's not done with you. And I want to tell you this morning, God is not done with you. God is not done with you. That this text remains true, not for only for the church in Corinth, but for us here today, that God is not done with you and he's not done with that situation, whatever it looks like. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here this morning and things are good. And I want to tell you, that's amazing. 
it's going to get bad. <laughs> right? That's the life we live. And you can be upset about it or, or, or disappointed. The fact is we live in a fallen world. And is there something that sustains you through the difficulty? Or are you on mountaintops to valleys to mountaintops to valleys? Because it would be God's will that you would just move straight through the difficulty and that he would sustain you. And it's not to minimize the difficulty or the pain, but it's to say, listen, God is not done with me. Paul is not a hopeless optimistic. So I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer it. It's rhetorical. Do you believe people can change? <laughs> I feel like everybody in the room, like some of your faces, I wish you could sit up here for a second. Some of your faces are like, like, because immediately you thought of who it is that can't. Right? Like immediately, right? <laughs> because that's the way our mind works. Like, oh, yeah, almost everybody can change. <laughs> Some of you have that person sitting next to you right now, but no, just go. <laughs> Do you believe people can change? Here's another question for you that's rhetorical. Do you believe you can change? Do you believe you can change? Listen, if you don't believe that people can change, and if you don't believe that you can change, then you believe a false gospel and you do not understand the grace of God. Because the grace of God and the gospel is contingent upon the reality of the transformation that only God can do. And so people can change. And the day you throw in the towel on that is the day you start to believe lies that are going to cripple you for the rest of your life. And if you think you can't change, then you're believing a lie that the enemy has already set you apart. I want to speak truth into you this morning. Paul wants to speak truth into you this morning. He wants to say, listen, he who confirmed you shall confirm you. God's not done with you. Look beyond your situation and consider the source. God is not done with you. Listen, we live in a Corinthian culture. We live in a Corinthian culture. This, this book is so real to our everyday. And it goes on in verse 9, and he puts in the linchpin. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. What Paul is saying with this fellowship, God is faithful, remain unified to Christ. Unity is about being in proximity to Christ. There's so many people that, that you want to resolve the difficulty, but you're like, listen, I'm only one half of the equation, but can you get to a place where you're free of the pain of the situation? Or are you carrying the burden of the other person's unwillingness to release? You know, we can be free while they carry the burden. If we can increase our proximity to Christ, it would be the will of God that everyone's set free, obviously. But sometimes we carry the pain as if somehow we were intended to, to be under the burden. But Paul's saying the opposite. He's saying all of this happens because of unity with Christ. And so this morning as we consider what's happening in these first nine verses of 1 Corinthians. I want to challenge you to consider something. Because we can come together and be like, oh, that was a great service, and we've got some great things as far as food and coffee and all that stuff at the end. You can be like, oh, that was awesome. And that's it. You just checked the box. You came to say hi to us, give a hug, whatever. And we're thankful for that. But I believe that God has a word for every person in this room. And so the text requires something from us this morning from the committed Christ follower all the way to the skeptic. What is your application this morning? Or will you leave this place just having attended? I want to ask you a question as you go. 
And I want to challenge you, those that drove, to ask the question to each other as you drive back. The question is this, what do I need to celebrate? What do I need to celebrate? Maybe you've gotten to a place in your life where you're so able to identify the faults. It's so easy to find what's wrong with every single person, with every single situation, with every single church. But what is it that you need to celebrate? What is it that you need to lean into? And maybe, maybe for those of you that say, listen, I'm doing well, my life is good, then maybe you need to celebrate the reality of the grace that God has given you. And maybe that has to transform some things. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit this morning, but I know this. The text requires something from every single person in this room, myself included. Maybe we need to pray about God changing our attitude. We're about to go into worship as a response to the word this morning. And as we do that, I want to ask you just to to bow your heads and close your eyes. And uh, if you're easily distracted, you can just look at the ground and keep your eyes open. That's fine. I just want to provide space for you to reflect a little bit. Say, listen, what what do I need to celebrate? For some of you this morning in this place, you came here to maybe check out a church and You've never really asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. I want to challenge you to consider that. Maybe that's your application this morning. Say, you know what? I'm going to risk it. I'm going to risk asking Jesus to be the leader of my life. If that's you this morning, in the quietness of your mind, in the seat that you're in, I want to ask you to pray a prayer. Simple as this. You can do it in the quietness of your mind. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm really messed up. But you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? And be the Lord and leader of my life. It starts with that. It's that easy. I'm not here to manipulate you this morning or to to have an emotional moment. I want to instead encourage you. I want to encourage you as we go on that if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to have a conversation with you. We have next steps. I'll talk about that at the end. But I want to provide you the space and the privacy to pray that prayer between you and God. We'll talk about how that can be a public conversation between you and I later. For everyone else in the room, I want to ask you to consider what it looks like to celebrate. Do you have to change your attitude? Do you have to stop? God, would would you... Change the critical spirit in me. Father, would you allow me to stop seeing what's wrong and instead take a stance of thanksgiving? Can I be a life giver with my words instead of a condemner? Maybe this morning you're thinking of that person that you think can't change and there's unforgiveness in your heart. You're carrying something that you were never intended to carry. It's literally crippling you. Maybe this morning, you lay it down. Maybe this morning, the application is to lean in and say, okay, God, I give that to you. It hurts. I have a right to carry offense. I know what's wrong. I see what's wrong. But God, I'm laying it down this morning. Because I'm not going to be in bondage to that. Whatever it is, I want to challenge you to consider it this morning. Would you stand to your feet with me? I'm going to lead us into prayer and then we're going to go into song.
Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you. Thank you not only for this situation, but even the the painful situations that shape us, Lord, the painful situations that you're redeeming. The difficulties that used to be a burden, that that used to cripple us, but God, you're healing them right now, even as we increase our proximity to you, that they would be a testimony of your faithfulness. That we would be able to say, God never left me. He never forsook me. He walked beside me. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can be unified with you. That you are our source. You're our source of grace. We worship you this morning. just want to apologize for some of the sound issues. We've completely lost our connection to our board mixes, our monitor mixes, so we have no way of controlling it. So that's what's been going on. We want to just start off um, this response set today with a song called Holy Spirit. And there's certainly application to the message, but we really wanted it to be an expression of Centerway's heart. The Holy Spirit, you are welcome here every time we're open. Every time we gather, every time we do life together, you're welcome here. And so if you're here and you um, are the skeptic or you um, maybe would have a hard time seeing these words, I just challenge you, the Holy Spirit's not pushy. But if you just say, would you, you're welcome here. And just see what happens, see what he does in your heart. He's kind, he loves you. So I just encourage everybody to sing these words with us. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close no thing can compare your 